0: Morning. I just want to share with you that this has been a really fun month for uh the Stuarts and the Rowans as we've received lots of notes and expressions of appreciation during Pastor Appreciation Month and uh we just want to let you know how much that means to us. Uh just lifts our spirits, gives us the energy and the uh motivation to uh just to keep doing our best. And it helps us feel a real part of our fellowship together here. So thank you so much for all you've given to us. Several of you have uh, given us kind expressions of your love and appreciation and uh, emails and uh, things of that nature. So um, just thank you again. This has been a really fun month. So uh, we just want to, on behalf of the Stuarts and my wife, Faye, who is here today with me, raise your hand, babe. As many of you have said, when's Faye going to come up here again? And, well, she's here today. So Uh, We want to say thank you so much. Yeah, (laughs) she's keeping an eye on me. That's right, Kevin. That's right. Uh, There's a story of uh, a deer hunter who uh, was just taking up the sport. Um, Really never um, been deer hunting before, so he hired a deer hunting guide. And so uh, he and the, the the guide went out, and they got into their tree stand, and and a big buck came along, and and uh, the guy who was this novice hunter uh, took a shot, and he dropped the deer. I mean, that usually doesn't happen. Usually the deer runs off, and they have to go find it. But in this case, he dropped it right in his tracks. So they got down off the deer stand, and uh, the guide went up to the deer, and he looked at this, this guy, and he says, Uh, you must be a Sunday school teacher. And he says, well, why do you say that? And he said, well, just like your lessons, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. (laughs) Sometimes we feel that way as Sunday school teachers, don't we? We invest our lives. We work hard at presenting our lessons. And sometimes we feel like our lesson just goes in one ear and out the other of those that we teach. Let me share with you a testimony of um, a Christian leader. Actually, he's a church consultant, and he tells the story of his Sunday school teacher whose name was Lennis Black. Lennis was my first Sunday school teacher when I began attending church. After my parents divorced, Mom began taking us three to church, hoping the environment of our church would provide her children with some level of stability, thanks to Lennox. Mom was right. Lennis was a great teacher, humorous, very interesting. He talked about things teenage boys appreciated and made the Bible come alive. The thing I remember most about Lennis was when he called me during the Georgetown Villanova basketball showdown in January of 1984. There was no agenda. He was just investing in my life. Funny... I remember every aspect of that phone call 30 years later. The reality is that when a divorce happens, a void is created in the child's life. It's simply unavoidable, and the voice of a godly man was filled by Lennis. He gave me a picture of what a man sold out to Christ looked like. Lennis taught our class for my four years of high school. Each year he wrestled on whether he should return or not. He always did, and because he did, my life was never the same. You may periodically wonder if it's worth it, teaching children and teenagers. Using my life as a case study, I'll tell you this. You may never know until you get to heaven what God will do in the life of that young child you see each week. Lennis I will spend every day for eternity in heaven thanking you for caring about me. I'll never forget your investment in my life. Those lessons that Lennis Black taught that teenager did not go in one ear and out the next. That's the power of a teacher. That's the influence of a great teacher. But unfortunately, the opposite is true as well. A great creative teacher can teach what is false. Billy Graham writes in his autobiography that there was a time in his life following what he considered to be an unsuccessful crusade um, that one of his friends who was a teacher came to him and said, Billy... Um, When are you going to give up this fanciful view of the accuracy and inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible and and come to a quote-unquote informed teaching of liberal Christianity? When are you going to go to a, a good seminary and learn what the Bible really is? Well, fortunately, at least from our vantage point, through the providence of God, Billy was asked to preach at a retreat center in California. And while he was there, he went out into the woods and he found a great big boulder. And you can see the plaque that is on that boulder to this day, where Billy Graham put down his Bible and he said, Lord, I might not know all the answers, but I accept your scriptures as the authority and power of God and he went on and became the great teacher and evangelist that he is that he was until just recently and the point of that story is is that there was a false teacher who almost won the day you know we we are going to be studying a letter today in the letters to uh, the churches in Revelation, where there is a false teacher who is trying to win the day. Let's read about this experience in chapter 2 of Revelation, beginning with verse 18, in Jesus' letter to Thyatira, the power of a teacher. Some good, some false. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and those feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads many of my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. These are no little insignificant things. This is huge. Egregious teaching where people were led into serious, serious sinfulness. Verse 21. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you, and that's a significant phrase we'll get to in a moment, who do not hold to her teaching and you have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the the churches." Thyatira is one of the seven churches singled out uh, for Jesus to give special letters to recorded in these chapters. It's the least influential of all of the seven churches, but it was strategically located on the trade route, which uh, gave many travelers opportunity to visit the town, and so the town was known for its entrepreneurial tradespeople and they would build businesses and sell and buy to the travelers that were going through their town religiously Thyatira was a town dedicated to the worship of apollos who was the son of zeus and it's interesting that when jesus introduces himself to this let this church he calls himself the son of god he's not there's no such thing as a son of zeus but there is such a thing as a son of God. And so Jesus says, I'm the son of God. Listen to what I have to say to you in this church. So what Jesus does is he gives a condemnation to this church. And he says, you are falling into sexual immorality and idol worship. Now, this is not uh, compromising by wearing, women wearing slacks and men wearing jeans to church, not cutting your hair above your ears, having drums on a worship team. It's not talking about that type of compromise. This is compromise when people were actually celebrating immorality within the life of the church, and they were worshiping false gods and idolatry in their teaching. It's interesting to notice that this is the exact same condemnation that was given to the church at Pergamum, recorded in chapter 2, verse 14. But there's a difference between the church at Pergamum and the church in Thyatira. The church at Pergamum was told, Jesus says, I know where you live. You live in a hard place. You've got the world all around you, and the world is seeping into your life. Thyatira, on the other hand, has got someone from the inside who is aggressively and positively teaching false doctrine. At this point in our church history, the New Testament is being very circulated. The letters of Paul are circulated. The letters of Peter have been circulated to the churches in the dispersion, which means outside of Jerusalem. So the New Testament was circulated and these churches knew better. And this teacher, Jezebel, knew better. So she is saying, yeah, but you know, God spoke to me. And that's why she calls herself a prophetess. How do you, how do you combat that? Well, God spoke to me. Well, Jesus says it's because of what she taught. She taught immorality and idol worship. And we'll get specific in just a moment. But this teaching was brought into the context of these entrepreneurial business people in the trades. And these business people in the trades, like textile, uh, bronze smiths, metallurgy, uh, shoemakers, potters, bakers, these people were organized into what we might call a modern-day union. (laughs) And these unions would have their monthly or regular meetings together. And these meetings were not just come for an hour and talk about business. These meetings were celebrations of the God of this particular guild. The God of the potters. The God of the shoemakers. The God of the metallurgies. And when they would celebrate the God of their trade, there would be a sacrifice given and then people would worship in that sacrifice, by having a feast in honor of that God. And then historians tell us that some of these guilds had a guild prostitution service. And they would enter into almost, if I could say, orgies in this. It was really debauchery at its highest. It was terrible. And that was part of the life of the guild. And so, the Christians in this church, who were tradespeople, had their business. Well, they were in a fix. And the fix is, well, what do we do about these, these guilds? Well, Jesus wrote to the church at Smyrna and told them, remember, he said, there's going to be a price to pay if you're a Christian in this world. Because if you name the name of Jesus, there will be persecution, pushback. So if you guys go to your guild meeting and you refuse to participate, there's going to be pushback. And so what the church at Pergamum did and what this church in Thyatira did is they tried to find a way to avoid the persecution. Find a way to be able to settle into life without having to face this terrible choice. And in Thyatira... They found the answer in the false teaching of this so-called prophetess. So as we look at what happened in this church, I'd like to suggest this overall principle, and it's this. As go the teachers, so goes the local church. As goes the teachers, so goes the local church. I'm not just referring to the pastors. I think this applies to all the teachers, because that man that I read his testimony, he was impacted not by the senior pastor's profound and wonderful, well-researched exegetical sermons. (laughs) He was impacted by a Sunday school teacher, the man who poured his life into him and week after week loved him and taught him. In Thyatira, the Bible was bypassed in preference for this so-called prophetic ministry of this one influential woman. And instead of carefully and faithfully upholding the authority of the Bible, they allowed her in this church to teach. And this is what happens in a local church when there is false teaching. So I'd like to look at the four different categories of false teaching that happens in a local church that falls into this type of letting this culture assimilate into the life of the Christians. And let's start with individuals who teach. This individual was called Jezebel, and verse 20 says she calls herself a prophet. Now, Jezebel is not her literal name. Rather, Jesus is referring and giving her a general association with a notorious Old Testament figure the wife of King Ahab of the northern kingdom, who, um, who was a, pra, uh, a, a queen uh, from Phoenicia. And Phoenicia is a town that celebrated worship of the Baals, or the Baals, however you want to pronounce it, the fertility god. And so if it's the fertility god, you know what's going to happen. They're going to celebrate fertility, <laughs> immorality. And so when she married the king of the northern kingdom, Ahab, she brought her worship of this false god, idol worship, which included immorality, to the nation of Israel. And you can read the story of what happened to Israel as Jezebel, uh, literal Jezebel, the queen, but rose that raised up her prophets and had her teaching propagated throughout the, the kingdom. Um, it was it was a terrible, uh, blasphemous time. In the life of God's people in the northern kingdom, Jezebel, or this woman prophetess, is given the same name by Jesus because she did the exact same thing. She came into a church and she began to teach immorality and idol worship. What is it that she was teaching? Well, we have a clue in verse 24 where Jesus talks about deep secrets. The deep secrets. So, within the context of the guilds and their idolatrous and immoral practices, um, we can conclude that this prophetess was saying, "Listen, I've got a deep insight from the Lord. The Lord spoke to me. I've got a way for you to be able to handle this this predicament that you're in, and uh, and you can go ahead and participate in this lifestyle, and it's okay from God because I've got a deep insight from the Lord." that you can do this. And what I'd like to do is just give you two suggestions from the scholars as to what this deep insight is and see if you might be able to think about how it might be permeating the local church today. The first thing that scholars talk about is one thing that the Apostle Paul already addressed in his his letter to the Romans, and it's this. Go ahead. You are immune... Because of God's grace. Grad's grace is great. God's grace has got you covered. And, you know, I think about, I was thinking about this week, and I was thinking, you know, how could the Jewish people who loved God allow Jezebel to bring in these false prophets, these Baal worshipers? I mean, she even let this false worship into the temple. How could how could the Jews allow that to happen? Do you remember how the Jews reacted to Paul's ministry in the book of Acts? Remember what they did when, when Paul suggested that Jesus was the Messiah? What did they do? They rioted. They stood up and said, how dare you speak anything against Jehovah, against the temple? How, this is outrageous. Paul. But in the life of Ahab and Jezebel, people just said, well... Not a problem, I guess. Let's just go ahead and assimilate that into our culture. I would conclude and suggest that somehow Jezebel and Ahab convinced the people that no problem. This is okay. All you got to do is come to the sacrifices, do the Yom Kippur Day of Atonement. Go ahead, do the Passover. Everything will be just fine. Don't worry about, about the Bay of Worship. You're going to be okay. And, of course, the Apostle Paul said, as we've noted in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Remember what he said? That's crazy. That's craziness. But, see, that's what this false teacher did. As go the teachers, so goes the church. That's one suggestion that the scholars have given. The second one is very similar to that. And that is that as a Christian, you got to learn to compartmentalize your life. And we're seeing this in our culture today in America. Because there's a movement to what we would call privatization of the practice of religion. Privatization says, go ahead, practice your faith on Sunday morning in your church, but keep your faith in your church. Don't let it go outside of your church. And so the Christians back in Thyatira maybe were taught, you know, separate your Christian life from your work life. And if your work life says you've got to go to these meetings, you've got to participate in this revelry, go ahead, but separate it from your Christian life. One of the political candidates many years ago identified himself as a member of a faith that was pro-life. And you know what he said? Quote, I don't let my religion influence my politics. That's compartmentalization. And we cannot allow that to happen. As a Christian, there's no such thing as a non-Christian part of our life, is there? Everything is our Christian life. And so this prophet, prophetess, who Jesus labels Jezebel, somehow convinced the people that it's okay. And that's why Jesus calls her a so-called prophetess, because a true prophet from God would never, ever teach anything like this. But the warning is, as go the teachers, so goes the church. It starts with an individual. But secondly, it also goes to the, to the disciples of that individual, the followers. Jesus calls them the children of Jezebel in verse 23. They not only followed the teaching themselves, but they entered into teaching on her behalf. Now, verse 21 tells us that both Jezebel and her followers were challenged to repent, to stop. And verse 21 tells us that they said, No, we're not going to. Evidently, the followers refused as well. We're not specifically told who gave them the warning. But they were warned. And they were told, stop this teaching. And they said, no. <laughs> and here's what Jesus told them. Grace is abundant. It's not unlimited. There's a point when a person can be so far off for so long that God says, all right, you've had your chance. That's enough. And what God says You've been offered forgiveness. You refuse. It's your choice. And so then Jesus says, I will cast Jezebel on a bed of suffering and I will strike down her children dead. We don't know exactly what those two phrases mean. Without being too literalistic, it's just bad. <laughs> it's God's judgment. People who are confronted and refuse to repent, God is not going to sit by. And as far as teachers are concerned, it would be good for us to be reminded of what James says in James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly Jezebel and her disciples were confronted, they refused, there's going to be a price to pay for them. As go the teacher, so goes the church. But then there's another group in this church, and I call them the listeners. The listeners are gullible believers who are misled into the sin of these teachers. Now, I think you know what I mean by gullible. Um, For example, uh, did you know that if you say gullible really, really slow, it'll sound like oranges? Now, how many of you are pronouncing gullible really, really slowly? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a story of a guy and his wife who were having a terrible argument. Uh, His wife said that the guy was gullible and financially irresponsible, and so he said to the friend, I can't wait to see the look on her face when I tell her I just won the Nigerian lottery. (laughs) That's gullible. You see, sometimes we in the church act that way, and we listen to false teaching. Apparently, that's what was happening here. There were believers in the church who were listening. Verse 20, my servants, Jesus calls them. Verse 22, those who commit adultery with her. Now, who are those people? Well, the Bible says that these listeners were given an opportunity to repent as well. But verse 22 tells us that they still had the opportunity. The door was not closed. So evidently, there's still hope for them. And so those who are sitting and listening and say, I don't know, maybe I'll try that and see if it works. They're just the listeners. They're just like sheep being led to the slaughter. They're listening to this false teaching. And God says, well, you need to turn from it. And there's still time for you to turn from it. You're not quite as severely judged as those who are teaching, but you're listening Don't do it. Turn from it. So that's the first three categories. The self-proclaimed prophetess who is the teacher, the individual teacher. Then her followers, those who teach with her. And then the listeners. One more group that Jesus outlines, and that's found in verse 20. And I would suggest to you that this is talking not to the whole church. I would suggest that this is talking to the negligent leaders. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. I would suggest that these are those who are not misled, but who tolerate these three. And I think that's referring to the authority leaders in the church. I think this is referring to the primary responsible leaders of the church, like the elders, the board, who are responsible for protecting and disciplining the sheep. That belongs to them. And these leaders um, have have looked at this teaching, they've concluded that it was wrong, they confronted the teachers, but their bark had no bite and they tolerated this teaching. By their inactivity, they are as guilty as those who actively participate. So Jesus speaks to teachers who stray and to those who tolerate them, verse 23 He says, there's going to be judgment. It's not going to be pretty. Because God sets the moral compass of a church according to his own moral character. And so when he judges, he says, all the churches around will know that I am the one who searched the hearts and minds of people. And I will repay each one according to your deeds. That's not talking about work salvation. It's talking about I'm going to look at your deeds and you're going to receive a just recompense for exactly what you do. Not, not going to be a pretty sight. This church is in chaos. This church is, is rolling in the depths of sinfulness. And Jesus says, don't think that you're going to just get away with this. Don't think that I'm going to look at the other way. I set the moral compass of a local church. And so then he challenges the rest. And this is where I think the interpretation of this whole church falls on this one phrase. To the rest of you, I say. It's interesting to note that in every church, no matter how unbiblical, there are some who hold a genuine love and faith that is uh, authenticated by their appropriate fruit. And here in Thyatira, verse 19, Jesus says, There are some of you, and I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Someone has said that when we get to heaven, we will not only miss some who we thought would be there, but we will meet some we thought might not be there. Be careful standing in judgment over a church, a denomination, a group of people who name the name of Christ. It's not our job to judge. Within this church, there were those who remained faithful. And God says to you, to the rest of you, I say, hold on. I will not impose any other burden on you Persevere until I come. And if you do, verses 26 and 29, you will be given places in the new heaven and the new earth where you will be judging the nations. And you will receive the benefits of the bright and morning star who, of course, is the Lord Jesus. So I think this is the four groups in this church. And each of these four groups was was very specifically challenged by this false teacher and her followers. And their reaction to it was different in each of these four different groups. So what I'd like to do is close this discussion on this church with some principles to consider that we can apply to our church so that we might not fall into the same trap as did The church at Thyatira. Number one, require appropriate qualification for your teachers. Make sure that we don't just have anybody teach because as goes the teachers, so goes the church. Now, membership will help with that because if you become a member of our church, you have to say we believe accept and will abide by our doctrinal statement and by our uh, bylaws and constitution. That really is, is a great safeguard. But there are some who are good, qualified teachers who, for one reason or another, are not members. Maybe we can have an interview with them, sit down and talk with them, have them sign an agreement that they will abide and uphold our ethics and our doctrinal teaching. So require appropriate qualifications for those who teach. Two. If and when, which we pray God spares us, a teacher strays from the truth, leaders. Don't do what the church leaders in Thyatira did. Just tolerate it. Take some action. And here are three things that are obvious things to do. Number one, correct what is false. And we talked last week, 2 Timothy 3. The word of God is appropriate and useful for teaching and rebuking and for correcting. Correcting. And for training in righteousness. Hold your teachers to that. Offer an opportunity to repent. That's what happened in this church. Galatians chapter six one says, You who are spiritual, talk to these people. Be careful that you don't fall into it with them, but talk to them and confront them. And usually that works. But if it doesn't, talk about what church discipline looks like for a teacher. Because... As go the teachers, what? So goes the church. Three, teachers. Consider the immense privilege and sober responsibility of influencing God's people with your teaching. There is no greater reward than to have someone write a blog about you and how you influence their life. For thirty years, what a what a joy, what a privilege, what a responsibility! If God has laid upon your heart that you are, are to enter into the teaching life of the local church, wow! What a what a what a privilege! Do it, but also remember it's a sober sober responsibility. And fourth, for the rest of us just like for the rest of the people in Thyatira, two things. One, let's learn the gospel so well that we can smell false teaching a mile away. (laughs) Smell the gospel. Make it such a part of your life that if you hear or see something that's not of the gospel, you can recognize, you might not know what it is. There's just something about that that's not right. You might not be able to do... Uh, chapter and verse, and that 's okay, but you just know that, you know, I know the gospel so well, that 's just not right. Dedicate yourself, learning and understanding the truth of the gospel so well that when you read something or you hear something on the radio, you just go, ah, it 's not right." And secondly, let 's learn how to encourage and support our teachers. Let's give them and offer them training. Let's give them maybe a a subscription to a Christian education magazine so that they're reading every week about how to be a better teacher. Let's send them to conferences and pay their expenses. And let's appreciate our teachers' months. Ian and I and and our wives have enjoyed this month immensely. Think if we would do that for our teachers'. Because as go the teachers, so goes the church. This church in Thyatira, we don't know how it turned out. They were in a mess of hurt because this teacher was teaching. Let's have a church full of Lennox blacks instead. By God's grace, we will continue to move forward. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege you've given me to be a teacher. And Lord, you know how I, I labor over every lesson and every Bible study and every sermon. Make sure that I get it right. Because I know the immense privilege and sober responsibility of being a teacher. That there's no greater reward, and so I thank you, praise you for the privilege. I pray for our leaders, our elders, and our board members. Give us discernment and give us backbone to protect our church from false teaching.